Welcome to the Keto for Endurance Athletes podcast, where we show you how to push through the nutrition and training barriers that are holding you back in order to finally get the healthy body and race results you've always wanted. Take the guesswork out of your training and gain the fitness and confidence you need to succeed. Give one of our free training plans a try at www.ketoendurance.co. Peak on race day. Hello, everybody. This is Stephanie again with Keto Endurance Podcast. I have a very special guest. My good friend, I'm going to call you my good friend, Jessica Reynolds. Because we are. Because we are. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Jessica works for the Keto Evangelist Coaching, and she specializes in food addiction. I met Jessica on the Low Carb Cruise, and all of the Keto Evangelist ladies I just thought were so cool. They're just cool people, so I I stalked them. I'm not cool now. That's going too far. I I saw them at the table. I'm like, I'm gonna go talk to those girls. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm so glad you did. No, so, and then Jessica and I met again. I think we saw each other. Oh yeah, a lot at KetoCon, which yes. they canceled this year, which was sad. But next year, they'll I'm sure they'll have it again. And then we saw each other at the Keto at the Cabin. Each time is a gift to me every time I run into Jessica because you're so positive and wonderful. So first, I'm going to have people, I want you to tell about your story and how you found keto, and then we'll go from there. All right. Well, you know, I can be like long-winded, so you have to reel me in just say, okay, so... (laughs) Well, my story, uh, long story short, is that I've had an eating disorder since I was 11. Disordered behavior and food obsession was way before then, but I became bulimic at age 11. I started to binge and purge. And looking back, I know my binging and purging was about stuffing down emotions and not wanting to feel certain situations that were going on in my life. It wasn't so much about the food. But anyway, 11 years old is really young to get sucked into that. And um, really, I did it for like five years before my parents found out. So I was truly addicted to binging and purging, not just the binging, but also the purging. And I, you know, five years in, they looked for help for me, but there wasn't a lot out there. You got to remember, this was like the early 90s and there weren't a lot of resources for people with eating disorders. So I was in and out of eating disorder hospitals for years. I had all kinds of therapists, got all kinds of good and bad advice. A lot of it was bad, which I know now. And I just went through some really terrible times with the bulimia. I cycled through. I really think all eating disorders are the same thing. They're driven by the same sabotage. But I cycled through times of anorexia, where my body weight was extremely, extremely low. And then I ballooned up during binge eating cycles to 309 pounds. So I was up and down most of my life until I got to age 41. And at 41 years old, I was in 
the worst shape of my life, not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, like every part of me was a wreck. I had gone through such severe depression and anxiety. I was taking um, 17 pills a day. I had had electric shock therapy for my depression and for my mood disorder. I weighed 309 pounds and I stopped leaving the house. I didn't go out of the house for about five years and I didn't drive a car. I let my driver's license expire. I kind of, ex- I, I ceased to exist to the world. I got off social media. I really was just alive, but in no way living. And that's the place that I found myself in when I discovered keto. Now, the cool thing about it is my my husband, he found keto for me. <laughs> I was really, really, really sick. My blood pressure was through the roof. And when I finally decided I needed to do something, he went on Facebook looking for keto groups. And I, I'm sorry, he went looking for low carb groups because we didn't know there was a difference. We didn't, you know, I think I had yeah. heard of Adkins because I had done Adkins yeah. in the past. But anyway, the first one that he, I, I got back on social media after like a two year hiatus. And the first group he found was Ketogenic Success, which is run by Keto Evangelist. So mm-hmm. that moment for me was life changing being added to this group. I started to have hope. I saw people's transformations there and there was something different about them. They looked happy and healthy and they talked about the illnesses that they were overcoming. They talked about their health. They had good skin. They looked younger. They were aging in reverse. And I thought, well, I've done low carb before. I can do this. But as I began to study and spend a lot of time on the page, I understood there were some different things about a optimal ketogenic diet. And in studying and finding my own way, I learned that there are ways to use a ketogenic diet for therapeutic means. And I was eventually able to get off my, all my uh, psychiatric meds. I just remember the process of sitting at the table and I would just take them all out and put them there in front of me and wash them down with a Red Bull. Super healthy. <laughs> Oh, just so crazy. But yeah, so I got off meds. I did have some health issues too, high blood pressure, like through the roof. I had chronic migraine. I had, I was prescribed a shot that I always carried with me. I had to take it about twice a week. I'd give myself a shot in the stomach because the migraine was so bad. I had bladder disease, which is supposedly incurable, interstitial cystitis. I was told I'd be on meds for the rest of my life for that. Haven't taken them now in at least three or four years. So I just was falling apart in every kind of way. And um, keto has really helped heal me. And I love to tell the story. I love to share because I am someone who thought at 41 years old, I've been bulimic since I was 11. I am deeply entrenched in sabotaging behavior. It's just part of who I am, almost part of my identity. I just thought for me, there was no hope. I had already been through every 12-step program and eating disorder group and hospital and every therapist, and they all had different theories, but I always still went back to bulimia. And I think that with keto, one of the things that happened was for the first time, I started to rediscover my hunger and full reflexes because 
I grew up in the low fat era. I'm 46 years old. Yeah. I was raised in this fat phobic kind of world. And the very last thing I would ever imagine in my life would be that healthy, natural fats would be the key to my freedom. But if I think about it now, as I learned that um, a ketogenic diet does have healthy, high fats, and I trusted it enough to add it because of I saw other people's success, that's part a big part of what changed me and was different from back when I had done Atkins. I mean, I did every diet, every diet I could lose weight on. And I think that's really important to say because I know people say, well, I do this and, and I lose weight. Well, me too. The problem is, I lost weight and then I gained back even more every single time. I always rebounded because of my binge eating. Talk about your mental health on the fats. Like the big difference is your brain started to work. Yeah. When I, when I talked about finding a therapeutic side to keto, it was really shocking for me. So, you know, I did it to lose weight and I started to add fat in spite of being scared to death of that. And about two months in to keto, real, you know, keto, not just low carb, where it's ingredients focused, I started to clear up. My brain was less foggy. I started being able to think about things I've never been able to think about before. There was a huge change in my appetite. I actually started to feel what hunger feels like again. But the big thing is, you know, all those years I was in therapy and groups and all this stuff, none of that ever worked for me because I stayed in a fog. My brain had never worked the way it was meant to work because it was fat starved. And so about two months in, I started to realize something was very, very different with the way I was thinking. Things started to make sense. I started to see myself and the behaviors that I was repeating that were sabotaging. I could actually see, oh no, I'm starting to do this thing. I'm starting this process of sabotage. And I was able to work through that. And I love to say it like this. Like I said, I had good doctors, bad doctors, but it's like my understanding and how to apply all the good information to me is what changed because I could connect it to me. I could make it work for me in my life for the first time ever. I could actually stop and see what I was doing and make a different decision, which I thought was impossible, of course. And I wasn't binging and purging. I had never, ever since 11 gone two months and not binged and purged. And so I wasn't putting my body through that because I was actually feeling fullness, which I didn't think I was capable of. But I could think clearly. It's that it's like the brain fog left. And I really, at that point, was struggling with extra cognitive difficulties, not just because of the pills and not just because of depression and mood disorder and, and OCD and all these other things. I also had brain damage, traumatic brain injury from the electric shock therapy. So for me, this clearing thing that happened in my brain, this ability to think better, it was the biggest miracle in all of this. I I still haven't mentioned this, but I will. I did lose 143 pounds on keto, but it's always one of those things that's in the background. Like, yes, I'm glad about that. And yes, I'm so glad my weight is stable. But compared to the change in me, 
and my ability to think and my ability to, you know, feel and work out my issues and stop sabotaging behaviors, that is worth a million times more to me. Well, people people pay a lot of money to go and try to feel good. And a lot of these programs don't address that their diet is what is not making them feel good, uh, contributing to it. Like they don't have the bandwidth to work on the therapy because right. they're the brain fog. Uh, something that, you know, you were talking about, you finally were able to differentiate what hunger felt like. And when yeah. we were at the keto at the cabin, we were talking about this, but even though I was eating keto and I had good results, I um, was able to get off asthma and allergy medicine, but I never was able to get my hormones regulated right. And mm-hmm. I wasn't able ever really to get much leaner. I never, you know, I'm not one of those people who's lost, you know, 50, whatever pounds. And I started working with Robert Sykes, uh, another. Who's awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he's we super awesome. My friend Sandra and I call him a fine young fan because he's so polite. And so yes. sweet. my husband works with him too. So, you know, we're, we have that in common. <laughs> but Robert put me on a lot higher fat and I had been following a different keto program because I thought, you know, what? I'm not losing the weight and I was training for endurance sports and I was could get so far before I started to really fall apart. And I realized now looking back was I was never eating enough. And we had discussed how my leptin and ghrelin, my hunger signals were off because I had starved myself so much. That's something that you know, you're like, yeah, whenever I was the opposite, I ate all the time and I didn't know what hunger was like either. Right. So I think that is a huge, huge thing to understand that our body, we, we're created with those signals built in for us to know when we're hungry and know when we're full. But if over the years you ignore either or both of those signals, your body stops giving them. Like our body is so efficient, it doesn't want to waste energy. And I just feel like it doesn't give the signal out anymore because we have just said, my body would say you're full and I would just keep eating. Either because I knew I was going to purge or because I didn't care and I was in binge mode. Same thing with anorexia or very low carb diet. I mean, sorry, very low calorie diets that I did, I would feel starving and I would not eat. And I think, you know, my body is just the leptin and the ghrelin. They were just latent. My body was like, I'm not going to use these. I'm not going to waste the energy and letting you know (laughs) you're hungry if you ignore it every time. Robert asked me regularly how I'm feeling, how my appetite is and everything. And I can tell you from before when I was doing the higher protein, low fat, you mm-hmm. know, because they said, you know, if you have fat on your body, you don't need to add fat to your food. Well, uh, just spoiler alert, that's not true. But <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, I wouldn't be hungry. But then when I started eating, I would be starving. And yeah. then I would eat until I felt like I was going to pop and then be right. miserable. And one of the big changes now that I'm eating a lot more fat and a lot more food in general is I'm hungrier faster, like I can feel hunger. But mm-hmm. when I eat, I'm full faster too. Right. So it's like, yes. oh, I know when to stop. I mean, before I would be like, I'm not hungry, da 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 da. I'm doing this, that, another thing, not even thinking about food. But then when yeah. I would finally stop to eat, it would be 
uncontrollable. Right. That, that would be in the realm of eating disorders too, compulsive overeating. So there's binge eating, which is eating, you know, tremendous amount of food. I mean, there were times I ate 10,000 calories in the period of two hours Oh my um, gosh! when I was binge eating. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yes. And then there's compulsive overeating. I start eating and I just can't stop. And then of course, anorexia and bulimia, anything that we do with food that is, I don't want to say it's out of the norm, but it's not what we want to happen is somewhat disordered. But I also think what happens is when we start to really be fed, our body starts to work optimally again. And that especially means our hormones start working and, and included in those hormones is the leptin and ghrelin. There's so many reasons why it works. And I'm with you. There is tons, tons out there, tons of voices out there who literally say, you cannot lose body fat if you're eating fat. And when I see that out there, I, I don't pick fights with people because I, I believe everybody should do what they want to do with their body. But I love to just put my before and after picture up there because I'm like, well, I lost 143 pounds eating like 85% fat. <laughs> so what, how, did, how is that possible if this theory is true? And in reality, we need the fat to think clearly, but we need the fuel. Our body needs to trust us that we are going to be fueled up and continue to feed it so that our metabolism works the way it's supposed to. Well, you can reset your metabolism better and you can reset it really, really low. And it takes time to fix that. But I get that, you know, I get that that is a loud voice out there. It's just not necessarily the case. Right. And I see people like I don't want to bad mouth these coaches no. or anything because I know there are people who have good results on that. I just yes. did not. And I was using those macros on my clients and they weren't working. In fact, I was thinking, I don't know. I can't figure this out. So I don't know if I want to be a coach. I think the problem is so when I think about I always talk about the fact that I did Adkins back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I lost 80 pounds on Adkins. At the point, at that point, I think it, was, it wasn't super popular then because there wasn't a lot of low-carb stuff out, but it was extremely low-fat, high-protein. So that does work for weight loss. I don't want to take anything away from that. It can. It did not help with my eating disorder. I still binged. I still purged even on meat, even on you know low-carb stuff. It was just I switched to something else. It didn't help my brain. And yeah. it didn't help my eating disorder, for one thing. So even losing weight on a method that works for you may not be the right thing for you. Not everybody has mental issues or cognitive issues. But if you do at all, that fat is like magic to your brain. It, we just operate on a whole different level, you know? But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of diets that work. You know, I did a, I did a 60 day juice fast at one point and I lost 70 pounds. I can't say that didn't work, but I, I'm sorry, 60 day juice fast lost 60 pounds, but I, I gained back 70 within three months. So all this oh. stuff works. Is it good for you? That no. sounds horrible. The, yeah. uh, but so let's talk about the idea about um, resetting the metabolism because for right. me for years even though I've been eating keto I was yeah. like still trying to eat less and exercise more right. and then when I started working with Robert and the previous coaches I had worked with 
had that still keto, but still had that mentality. And Robert's like, no, we have to, there's no room to cut. You're eating less than 1500 calories a day and you're working out six to 10 hours a week. Those are not compatible. There's no room to cut. So I started gaining weight and I was freaked out. And he's like, just stay calm. They're just metrics. They're just numbers. Just don't, don't worry about it, which sometimes you need that. Well, for me, I need that calming voice in the fact that I wasn't going to keep gaining forever. And I started feeling better in my training, my exercise, I could do more, I could ride longer and exercise harder, because now I actually have fuel. Uh, And something that we talked about at the keto at the cabin is my fingernails started growing. And you had said, it's amazing what happens when you fuel your body. Yeah, what is, it starts to do like make your hair thicker and yeah. well, when I'm talking to clients about under eating, one of the things and it's really hard to get out, especially people our age in our age range, like people are very stuck in that eat less, move more thing that clearly has not worked for America because we are all overweight and sick, basically. So it hasn't worked but yet. We're still stuck on that. But I always talk to clients and I say, if you're not eating enough fuel and fuel is calories, if you're not eating enough proper fuel, your body's going to decide what to do with a little bit of fuel that you give it. So if you're giving it very low calorie, it is going to protect your organs. It is going to make sure that your muscles are intact or your heart's intact. And that's its priority to your body, your hair, your nails, your skin. That is not priority. It'll shut that straight down. People talk about losing their hair, their nails get bad, their skin gets bad. It's because that's not the priority for your body. If you're only giving it this much fuel, then it's going to use that fuel for its priority to keep your brain going, to keep your heart going. And if you think about it, it's really, hair is really important to us. Uh, Nails are kind of important to us too. Um, but, But our body, it's like last on its list of priorities. You know, it's going to shut that down pretty much right away if you are severely under eating. So you, when you have clients who are, you know, sort of in my situation, they start to gain weight and you're telling them like, hey, just stay calm. And how long do you think it's taken me probably January, it's May now, four and a half months before of every week. Um, upping the calories to finally hit a plateau and start to head the other way. So what do you tell people whenever they're in that situation where like the scale is not moving where I want it to go? I'm freaked out. The scale is a big topic of conversation, whether it's someone who's gaining, whether it's someone who is compulsively weighing themselves many times a day doing, I know I used to like weigh myself, run around the block, you know, weigh myself again. Like, I mean, the scale is such this all consuming thing. So I work with a lot of people on putting it away. If our goal, because that's the thing, what is the goal at the end of the day? Is it to see a certain number? And some people would shake their head. Yes. But you're not walking around holding a flashing sign that says what your weight is, right? I mean, we act like we are because the number is so important. I'm like, no, no, no. What is your goal? 
if it's to be healthy, if it's to look good, it's to feel good. I think what I really focus on is having them put the scale away and find alternative ways to measure success and keep a list of what those non-scale victories are. Is that always easy? No. Do people rebel and get on the scale anyway? Yes, sometimes they do. But it's really, it comes down to big picture thinking and having a relationship of trust. And I can tell you, trust Robert. I think it's the same thing with my clients. Like we, you know, we work so much on behaviors and we get, I get to know them so well that there is this trust relationship. If they're telling me that at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they're going to feel good, look good, and lose weight eventually, then they believe me. You know, I think that's a big part of it. And it's different for every person. I think one of the things that really just, it's, it's almost worse than the scale, is looking at other people's stories. I like right. to inspire right. people with my story, but I realize there are people out there that are like, I can never do that. Like, I don't know what's special about her that she could do that, but I can't do it. Well, I used to be that person. But the comparison, some people post on social media and people who have huge transformations, especially if they are in a quick time frame, those posts get the most attention. It stays at the top of everybody's new news feed in every group. So everybody sees that one. They don't see the 30,000 other posts where it's people like you or me that that are talking about, you know, the long haul and being slow. And so they start to think that is the norm. And I just think that comparison is not a good thing in any way. It either makes you feel inferior or it makes you feel superior. So there's really, either way is not a really good thing. It took me, I mean, even your story's short compared to mine. When I was in my lowest period, I would decided it would be a good idea to follow a vegan diet and train for an ultra marathon mm-hmm. and the wheels fell off the bus. So when I was in the deepest hole to now is like 11 years. I mean, I've continually got better, but then I went on a detour of this low fat keto that, you know, put me in another dip. I think that there's something important in learning to listen to your own body. I mean, having trust in a coach, but also trusting, like, I've had multiple people I've worked with for nutrition. I mean, I've seen a lot of nutritionists. Sure. Yeah. And I, just for performance, and I've had them up my calories because they've all told me I was eating too little, but Mm -hmm. I didn't believe in what they were telling me. But learning to listen, like, the low-fat keto people I stuck to the longest. And mm-hmm. I think it's because I knew keto worked with me for me in other areas that I wish right. I had just like realized this was not working for me. So it's hard to, I don't know why that, like the point I'm trying to get across is like, don't always think it's you that's the problem. Like, right. Yes. Well, also the point there is if you are doing something and you feel poorly, do something different. It is not right. Try something else. I don't care if you're surrounded by people who say this is the greatest thing in the world. If you don't feel good, whatever it's giving you, it's not worth it. So I started taking Prozac when I was 16 and I was on it till what that and the other stuff till age 41. But 
my mental health, if nothing changed about my body and I just knew I could get free like I have from those things, I would have done it. I would have been about it. Some of us function the best with higher fat. You know, that's not to say everybody has to do it, but if you want your brain to work high speed, that's what you need. Our brains love high fat. But again, I mean, if something's not working for you, change it. It's crazy to keep doing the same thing if you're not getting any results. It's crazy. I I was on a two and a half year detour of like trying to eat these like low macros. And then if I ever stopped following them, my weight would creep up because they were not sustainable. And since I started working with Robert, I think the high, the peak, I was 16 pounds heavier than I started. And that was 10 pounds heavier because over the holidays, I'm like, I know I'm going to work with Robert. I'm not going to measure anything. I'm not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And I didn't train or anything. My husband had a serious bike accident in October and I just was not in the mood to get on my bike. So, uh, He's fine now, but it was really scary. So really, I I gained 26 pounds from what I usually maintain. Mm-hmm. And now it's finally starting to go down. But my brain is working better. My hunger signals are finally regulated. Finally, where I can you know, know when I'm hungry and know when I'm not hungry. And eat and stop eating. Like that was right. the, the compulsive eating. You, you hit that point of fullness and you think to yourself because you can think clearly I can have this again tomorrow there is no reason to eat it all right now I mean it's the truth like that's the thing is that you can actually stop and think yeah but I also think that my my leptin and ghrelin just weren't working so my body did not know I think I had starved myself so long that it's like you know if you think about in a famine if you finally mm-hmm. have food, that's survival to be able to eat as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And also your body, if you've been in a famine and you eat as much as you possibly can, your body's going to store that because it's assuming okay. you're going back to famine. You, you said something else that stood out to me, though. You, you talked about your husband's accident, and I know that was really, really traumatic for you. But going back to food addiction and, and what I work with with most of my clients is often in times of trauma, in times of stress, we overeat. And if you are someone who has an eating disorder, that can be devastating because in a short period of time, like if you're like I was and you're binge eating on 10,000 calories in a very short time, you can destroy your health. And so I think almost everyone who struggles with a sudden gain, you can trace it back to a traumatic event. And that's literally every single person that I work with. There's always some trauma that started extra eating because there's comfort in that too, you know? And I think the whole body starts to slow down. Like, I mean, I know people who, like my husband's naturally thin, so he eats whatever, but right. I think whenever you have something traumatic happen, it's normal just to pull back and not right. try to like you're in, you know, I was going to the hospital every day to check on right. him and and then your whole like things that were important before yeah. are no longer important. And then over the holidays, I ate keto, but I ate like very dirty keto. Like I made, you know, keto desserts. And that sort of thing, which 
I know when we were at the KetoCon, there was a lady who said, you know, those keto, you know, keto-fied foods had helped her to really go to keto and gradually she got off of them. So, I mean, I was at my in-laws and stuff, but I, for me personally, I, anytime I have sweet things, it makes me crave the trigger. Yeah. 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 And I think that's that idea of, are you a natural born moderator or not? And this is how you know. I, I can remember even being a child, I would see people that would take a bite of something like really rich, like a, you know, something super, super rich and sweet. And they would take a bite and they would put it down and they would say, oh, I can't eat any more of that. And even then I was like, what? I cannot even imagine that feeling of this is too much or too rich. I'm like, I just ate mine. Can I have the rest of yours that you took a bite out of? So I think that... <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, they don't have to be that way. They don't have to try to be moderators. Right. Um, and, and I think that's part of my story. A big part of it is that all these therapists that I went to, all the clinics, all the eating disorder hospitals, the end goal was always to be able to eat everything in moderation and to not have any food that was considered bad. And that's the reason I always failed because it wasn't treated like addiction. Because yeah. in addiction, yeah. you know, you go through alcohol treatment and they say, they never say, well, the goal here is for you to be able to feel free to experiment with drinks here and there or have them with your friends when a social situation calls for it or soothe with it if things are stressful. But that is the message from the eating disorder community then and now. And I think that's tough, especially during this virus. I see that oh, in the eating disorder oh. community. They're like, Everybody's like, allow yourself to just soothe with food. Don't worry about it. And that it, oh my gosh, it like breaks my heart because that's the thing. That's the message that I believe that kept me sick. I was like, how do I turn into a moderator? How do I get to that point where I can eat all things? And it wasn't until I really acknowledged this is absolutely an addiction. I cannot indulge in the things that I'm addicted to. I have to get sober. I have to get clean and staying clean and sober the last four years and three or four months. That's what's kept me sober. It's staying sober. If I reintroduce those things that I'm addicted to, I'm going, the cravings come back, you know? Yes. I think I a hundred percent agree with you, but I think a big part of the problem is this idea that my plate or the food pyramid is really quote unquote healthy That's right. is the misleading part. I was listening to a, a, a video or watching a video from Kern County, which my sister was the health supervisor. She worked for the health department there a long time ago, but it was talking about now eat healthy foods, healthy whole grains, fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables, low saturated fat and low salt. That's the exact opposite of what I eat. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Um, I was in a doctor's office recently and they had, while you're waiting for the doctor to come in, they had a video playing and it it did exactly that same message, right? And it, it was disheartening because honestly, when the doctor came in, she was severely obese. I mean, severely obese. She was a wonderful, wonderful doctor, but I thought, man, how I could help her. 
and she's got this looping message playing about eating whole grains and, and all that stuff. And it was so, it really impacted me. But, you know, I believed that too. I didn't understand what really was healthy or not. But I go back to that same idea of if America has been following this advice and we are sicker than ever and we are more diseased than ever, don't you think maybe there's something wrong with the advice? I mean, how did we as a country get, we got kind of duped, I think, into believing that factory altered foods were healthier than real food. So right. like, okay, if I, you take something in a factory and you take all the fat off of it and then you add sugar, you add something else to make up for that missing taste and put it on the shelf, this is healthy, but the original thing is not. A uh, heavily marbled steak compared to a snack weld bar. I right. mean, avoid that steak. Right. Mother Nature yeah. gave it is what. Yeah, made it. Well, I wonder what all of our, why didn't all of our relatives, our history, throughout history, why didn't we have heart disease and catastrophic obesity and diabetes when people were eating that and not the stuff they ate now? They didn't have access to all these genetically modified fruits and vegetables. They had meat and occasionally a little piece of fruit that looks nothing like fruit looks like today. Right. And And maybe a little bit of honey that they risked their lives for. Right, right. So, you know, it's like, if it's true that that's the unhealthy stuff, our ancestors would have died out. We would not exist because that's what they ate. You know, it's just crazy to think uh, we're all a little brainwashed, or we were brainwashed, and a lot of people still are, that the modern diet is the healthy diet. It just isn't. The proof is all around you. It's on you. You know, it's just, it's there. Yeah, in cave paintings, they have paintings of hunting. They don't have paintings of plowing the field. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they also moved around so much. They didn't have, they didn't stay places. Most of them didn't stay places for seasons on end. They have time to plant, wait for a harvest and then get it. I mean, like if I'm not saying they never ate grains, if they found them and there was, they had a failed hunt and never found the thing, but if they were naturally growing, that's all they could find. It was an inferior food source, but they would eat it. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that's neat about our bodies is there we are metabolically flexible. We can function eating those other things. But I believe with all my heart that they are inferior fuel sources. I agree. I was just watching today a, a video of a guy who's a pro triathlete who eats a carnivore diet. And he switched to carnivore because his body literally couldn't handle any other foods and he was eating the typical high carbohydrate low fat diet that many endurance athletes what I was told to eat to perform well and what it did to me was make me very ill and I had many of the same issues that he did so it's just amazing that we're told we need carbs to to exercise he's doing full Ironmans at a pro athlete level and only having a little bit of caffeine on the run right. of the Ironman. I always, yeah, I, I am not like a, a super athlete by any means, but my husband's really active and he does like the warrior dashes and like all that fun stuff, mud. He gets muddy and does obstacles, all that stuff, whatever that is. But, you know, everybody around him will eat you know, they'll stop and they'll carve up and they're shoving down these bars and stuff and he'll carry mustard packets with him. 
and use those. Never tried they, mustard. It really is a thing. So he carries mustard packets with him as like something to like give him a boost because it's electrolyte and runs on. And so people are always amazed by that, that he's not stopping the carb up. And, you know, he hasn't eaten carbs in four years. And it's just, it's because you don't, when your own body is producing your fuel source, you never run out of it. You don't have to stop and get it. You know, it's there. It's happening all the time. Right. When you're fueled by fat, your body, even a lean person has hundreds of thousands of calories of fat for fuel. That's right. And glycogen, if your body is not able to tap into its fat stores, glycogen is only about 2,000 calories. That's muscle and liver glycogen. Once you run out of that, if you can't tap into your fat source, you bonk. That's right. And that's that's what a lot of people, I have a Facebook group, Keto for Endurance Athletes. And one of the main reasons why a lot of endurance athletes follow keto, not for the fat loss or mental health or any of that. It's just they don't want to bonk. Right. Or they have their gut shuts down. So all that sugar shuts down your gut. Yeah. Well, I always talk about keto energy as smooth energy. Like it's a constant energy that runs through. You don't have these highs and lows, which is why it helped with my moods. I mean, I took meds for bipolar disorder for decades and I have not taken them now in three years. And my energy is smooth. I'm not way up and way down. It's just completely different. My brain operates differently. Did your doctor work with you to get off of medication or did you have to do that on your own? In the past, I had gotten frustrated by side effects from medication. Um, and I had done drastic things. Like in my 20s, I can in 30s, I remember just like flushing all the meds and saying, I don't like how I feel. When you're on that much medication, you feel very numb. You know, it's keeping you from probably doing something drastic or hurting yourself, but at the cost of just existing in numbness. And I would get tired of feeling that way. I knew that I was in there somewhere, and I, but I wasn't feeling. I got tired of just being feeling nothingness. I talk about this a lot that I could not feel joy or happiness. I don't care what it was. I was incapable of that. And a lot of it was the med. So I would put them all down the garbage disposal and detox. And the, it was horrible. I mean, just absolutely horrific, the side effects of putting those things. And no one should do that. When I suggested that I wanted to get off of them with my doctor's help, I had one doctor that was very supportive and another one that was like, no way. So I did what I wanted to do. And I talked to my doctor who supported it a lot more and then eventually went back to my doctor who didn't, who saw how well I was doing. And then I told him (laughs) that I was off these different things and I did it gradually and it wasn't instant. It took time and I did one thing at a time, but I realized that I didn't need any more. I, I like to tell this too. The, the medication I took for bipolar disorder was the same medicine that my daughter took for seizures. And so we had done all this research on keto for um, epilepsy and we had decided to put Clara on keto to help with her seizures. And, mm-hmm. and she was able to get off that medicine. And so I'm thinking if she can get off of it because it, it changes how her brain works and I'm taking the medicine basically to do the same thing, 
maybe I can get off this too. Because, you know, bipolar disorder is not a sort of thing that people think, I mean, it's not a sort of thing doctors say that you can get well from. Right. It's been, I've heard my brother's bipolar and yeah. he's on disability because of it. And he's yeah. pretty extreme. And but yeah, and it is extreme. I, I mean, I was, I had both extremes, like you're completely wild, manic, harmful behavior to suicidal. Like, I mean, all, I mean, years, but still I was able to get off that medicine and not get back on it. And it works for her brain for seizures and it works for my brain for that. Yeah. And I'm not what? suggesting that every person can get off, but I was pretty bad and I've been on it for a long, long time. So maybe you can, you just don't realize it. You know, if that becomes a goal, definitely work with your doctor, but it is possible. I'm not the only one. There's others in this community. Amber O'Hearn, who's a writes a lot about carnivore, was bipolar. And she said that it was amazing how she gave up all plant foods. Plant foods she reacts very poorly to, and it was able to help her bipolar and it was amazing but the um, interesting about the plant foods so I don't eat a lot of those anymore either I'm not opposed to them but I generally don't eat a lot of them because I'm at a point in my journey where I just want something that's going to fuel me that tastes good and meat does that the best meat and fat but I also my entire life I've struggled with, with kidney stones And I remember going to the carnivore conference in 2018, I think, 2018, yeah, and learning there about lectins and oxalate. And guess what my kidney stones have always been made of? They've been studied. Oxalate. Oxalate, yes. So I cut out those things, those vegetables that were high in oxalates, which were kind of the only ones I really liked a lot. And because of that, I am predominantly um, carnivorous these days, just by default. When I gave up oxalate vegetables, I had such a hard time with oxalate dumping. I felt it in my joints. It came out of my teeth. I had oxalate acid chipping off my teeth. And my jaw under here just became like solid mass. And I was a little nervous and I did some research and it was just oxalate acids but I am almost afraid to eat them now because it took so long it took a couple of years to get them out of my system I think um because I'll occasionally eat something I think that it's really important when you choose to eat something that you know affects you in some kind of way that you decide ahead of time and you say I know this comes with a certain consequence so like I loved loved Brussels sprouts. (laughs) I don't love tons of vegetables, but I love Brussels sprouts. But two things, I determined they weren't good for me to eat, but also they make me bloated. I would eat them on Thanksgiving and I would look like I had a, you know, beach ball under my shirt after, you know, I'm seeing people I haven't seen in a year. I'm like, this is the worst day for me to be bloated. So now I don't buy them, make them, but every once in a while I'll eat one or two and my body reminds me. It's not like, it's just your body. I think it's not that you get more sensitive to it. I think your body is so appreciative and grateful that you're not giving it things that make it bloat that when you suddenly reintroduce it, it's like, oh no, don't do this to me. And it does that by having these extreme reactions, you know? 
Yeah. And well, and I think it's like once you start to feel better, you can recognize when you feel bad. When you feel yes. bad all the time. I mean, I used to feel bad all the time. Yes. I have a friend of mine who's still, she was never heavy. She got a little chubbier and then she went carnivore, keto and carnivore and, and lost it. But she was always skinny when she was younger. And she's like, oh, to be young and have, you know, that energy and smooth skin. When I was young, I never felt good. Yeah. I feel better now than I did when I was in my 20s or 30s. Yes. Yes, I agree 100%. And I don't, I don't think I said this, but again, we're talking sort of about vegetables and how you feel. I was a vegetarian for 14 years, Ugh. age 14 to 28. And when I think of the things that I ate, I will tell you this, and anybody who has known me a long time, I felt old. I always felt old when I was a vegetarian. Like I just, I felt tired. I felt bad. And for one thing, I was low fat vegetarian, which was even worse. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it just, I was not only not getting the fats I needed or the protein that I needed. I was also taking in all the, the oxalates and the, um, lectins and just had no clue yeah so yeah I feel better than I did my whole life I feel better right now than I have my entire life and that's what people I did a interview on the meet rx podcast about success stories and I said you know have you deviated from a, a a carnivore diet and I said yeah I go you know I've toggled back to keto with you know, vegetables and fruits and the fake stuff like the almond flour crap. And I always go back to carnivore because I feel better. I used to tell my coach when I was training for my first Ironman, oh, I've only done one full, I've done a, a few halves. That I said, I don't feel like I'm in shape. And she goes, what do you mean? Your, your training's going fine. But I never felt fit because I never felt good. And now right. looking back, I'm like, I just didn't know how to articulate like, hey, I thought all this exercise was supposed to make me feel good. And I was not. I'm really glad the conversation went in this direction because I'm sitting here thinking of all my clients. I'm thinking of how I used to think. And it circles back to pretty much all diets work. But then they don't. Your body gets adapted to it, used to it, and you rebound. But it does not matter. I think back to pictures of when I was younger and there were times I was very thin. I look at that now and I'm like, wow, my body then. But then I remember I didn't feel good and I wasn't happy. And I think a lot of people are in pursuit of a person they used to be because they have romanticized it. We were talking about the scale earlier and people say, well, my goal is, and there will be some really specific goal, 133. And I'll say, Why? And they're like, that's when I felt the best, or that's when I got the most compliment, or that's when I felt good about myself. And what's happening is they're trying to achieve a number and they think they're going to feel like they felt when they were 20 or when they were in that situation that they were in a good relationship and everything else that went along with that. But I look at pictures and I say, I could do extreme things and I could be that weight again, but I felt terrible. Why are we in pursuit of something at the cost of feeling good? I mean, that's right. the thing. Right. I think when you get to this age, and I think most, I mean, I do have clients who are younger, but most people are my age or, or older. And you get to this point where you're like, 
getting skinny is pointless if you feel like garbage. And I think it's just important to put that out there. I don't care how old you are. I wish I had understood that when I was in my teens and 20s and 30s. That yes, you can do lots of things to get skinny, but it is completely pointless. Especially if you have no energy and you're laying around the house all the time. Like, it's the wrong pursuit. I go back and think, you know, I don't know about what your mother's diet was, but how much differently my life would have probably taken a different path if my mom had embraced high fat mm. when she was pregnant with me. And after I, I know she ate low fat when she was pregnant with me, I was sure. born premature. And then my whole life, she was always on a diet, mm. always eating low fat. Yeah. I had low fat, everything we all did. the time or no plastic, fat. plastic cheese. <laughs> basically you know like won't even melt it's because it's like a piece of plastic there's it's so far away from what actual food is (laughs) yeah right right yeah and i like i would have never gone on this journey of ups and downs and and you know i'm not unhappy with i where i am now but you know i think about our children and how i fed my children after i started on the low carb keto thing right started feeding my children better they're grown now but how if we could just you know do our part I mean you're doing your part I'm trying to do my part and really inform people that things can be different well you know I've gone through this I have an older daughter who of course was not raised keto but she's keto now she has been for a few years and then I have Clara who has been keto since she's nine and she's about to be 13 so she's almost at four years course I wish I could go back in time and do things differently but she understands that even though what how she eats is different than everyone else it's actually in the long run going to benefit her she gets it and I think we don't expose our kids enough to why we're doing the things we do sometimes they understand she knows that Eating sugar can cause food addiction. She knows, or it can exacerbate food addiction. She knows that it creates diabetes. She knows that sugar and grains cause inflammation, which cause heart disease. I think we don't tell our kids that. We want to let them be kids and, and have all the junk and then address it when they're older and sick. That makes no sense to me. Right. <laughs> like, well, it doesn't make sense it. to me. <laughs> yeah. But I address think it that, now. Yeah. Especially because your daughter is has epilepsy. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's even more of you're trying to impress upon her. This keeps right. your brain working. Yeah. So Clara's been keto since October 2016. And yes, we've always I've always exposed her to all the information that I know. And she's bought in. Did she want to in the beginning? No way. Of course not. But when she started feeling better and her seizures stopped, she was all about it. And she never wants to go back to that. She was talking to another child last week about keto and the kids kind of sort of interested. She's the um, daughter of a friend. And she's like, I, you know, I don't know if I want to give up these things. And I was so proud because she said, well, I didn't want to start keto. But now, four years later, I would do it no matter what. Even if I didn't have epilepsy, if my parents didn't make me, 
And this is her talking to another child, her same age, 12 years old. And I was just like, that's the most amazing thing that we can do for our kids from a nutritional standpoint is this isn't something we're thrusting upon you and making you do for no reason. Like it's right. going to save your life. I'm not, you're, you never have to have type two diabetes. You don't have to be afraid of getting that. You don't have to have heart disease. And she understands that. And I think our, we don't give them enough credit. We don't teach them enough about nutrition so that they will want it instead of feeling like they have to do it. Yeah. Well, and thinking and sort of empowering her to have the choice to speak up for herself. I think this idea that you have to, you know, your kids can have whatever so they can quote unquote fit in. Like, why do we want our kids to fit in all the time? Why don't we want them to think for themselves? It's not even just that. Like, fitting in means if I'm going to be like everybody else and we tell them not to do the things that everybody else does, right. but right. that, that whole idea, I'm going to be like everybody else. That means I'm probably going to have diabetes. I'm probably going to be obese because one out of three, you know, you look at a circle of three friends, one of them is going to have diabetes. So yeah, you don't want to be the norm if the norm leads to sickness. Right. And yeah, it is a mixed message. I think we give to our kids sometimes when we say, yeah, just, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that if it becomes an issue. If you get diabetes, then we'll try keto for you. Uh-uh. For us, it's hard because my husband can eat what he wants and he's so skinny. Yeah, that is really hard to be around. Uh. And, yeah. And I mean, I, my talk on the low carb cruise was the differences between being fit and being healthy, which is one I of my saw. favorite ones. Thank you. It, you know what? It, it's so hard to give, I mean, you went up there and spoke too, so you know what it's like. It's so hard to get up and talk and everybody has these blank faces, so you don't know how they're receiving it. And yeah. then whatever you told me at Keto at the Cabin, like, I remember that, that though you showed all these pictures of these pro athletes yes. and they're dead or diabetic. And uh, I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> I worked yeah, so it hard. Really had a, it really had an impact on me. Like, I loved it. I mean, it was it was a really good one because people you could be thin and still sugar will kill you which i remind my husband all the time just because That's you're right. thin doesn't mean and fit doesn't mean you're healthy it's a hard message to get through to people who don't who aren't overweight who don't see it yeah. yeah being heavy is not that it's a burden anybody wants to bear but at least you see what's happening in your body you know right. something's going wrong Right. And somebody who's thin, you could be like, I'm perfectly fine because I'm thin, but things could be going really wrong. Yeah, I, people talk about um, a lot about, you know, cheat meals and they talk about taking time off. And, you know, as someone who has to remain food sober to stay in recovery from my eating disorder, I discourage that for, you know, lots of reasons. I realize some people it doesn't turn on a binge or it doesn't send them back to sugar for months and they don't spiral, but they don't get away with it. I think that's the thing. People are like, well, I do this and I get away with it. I'm like, not really. You don't see it on the outside. You don't become like a raging, binging, you know, out of control food person like I do. But something's happening inside of your body. You're creating inflammation. Your, you know, coronary calcium is building. You're becoming, you know, insulin resistant. And I mean, so there is something, it doesn't matter if you 
think you get away with it or not. Right. I mean, there's no escaping that. Yeah, our food are the building blocks of our body. Yeah. And you are giving yourself that's not going to rebuild your body. Right. As well. And it's people are keto, just like your group, the carnivore groups and, and different groups. People look younger because they're giving their bodies fuel that rebuilds them a yes. little bit better than what they were giving it before. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. When I post some of my before and after pictures, people are like, this looks like you and your mother. Or you look like you reversed in age like 20 years. And I said, well, I feel 20 years younger than I did in that picture. But you see it. It's everything. It isn't ju- it's an overall wellness. It isn't just weight loss. Because, you know, you do see people, especially like bariatric patients who often their skin gets droopy and, and very saggy. And it, you, you almost never see that with keto people. Yeah. Like Because you have gained weight and lost it. Multiple times. Lots of times, yes. <laughs> I mean, for me, I've, I've stayed pretty stable. It's just like big. Yeah. <laughs> bigger yeah. than, uh, but uh, do you have stretch marks or has it shrunk or do you? Yeah, it's a big question that I have yeah. and I know a lot of people do. Yeah, well, people look at my pictures and they're like, you don't have any extra skin. You look great. I'm like, no, I just know how to dress so that you can't tell. I do have loose skin. I think it's been helped tremendously by fasting. I am a fan of that and um, autophagy. But in order for me to really get rid of it, I'll have to, I would have to have something done. I have to have the extra surgery. Yeah, yeah. And that's not, that's not out of the question for me. It's a reminder of how unhealthy I was, but I also am okay. And some people let that be the the loose skin be a reason why they don't start. Literally, people say the reason I won't lose weight is I'm afraid to have loose skin. I'm like, are you showing off your stomach now? You know, like, like you can have the loose skin just, and you can't hide the, the insulin resistance. You can't hide the fat that's under there. You can hide loose skin in your clothes. For me, I have lost and gained, I don't know, a thousand pounds in my life. And I, and that's not overstating because I can think right off the top of my head of 10 times I lost 80 pounds doing different diets. I always rebounded higher than before. How traumatic. <laughs> How traumatic for my poor body. I'm yeah. so grateful. When I, when I look in the mirror and I say, oh, I really would rather not see that loose skin. I have to stop myself right in that minute and say, thank you, body, for holding up with all that I put you through. I do not deserve for my body to still be standing. And it is. So what? (laughs) There's some loose skin. But I also do think it is better. I I think at one point, you know, when I lost weight in my face. You look, well, right now, I think you look fabulous. I mean, I I feel like you look, I don't know, you look even like smoother or leaner than when I saw you in, was it March? It that long, a couple months ago. Yeah. March. Well, I, I also think one of the things that I learned recently is that just keeping on doing the right thing every meal at a time, every step at a time, eventually pays off. We talked about how do you keep people motivated for this long haul? Well, the only thing I did different in 2000, 18 was I cut out nuts in January and I did it mostly because I ate them compulsively 
And I didn't want there to be any food in my life that had, I felt like had power over me. And they, they really did. I mean, I always wanted more. It was just one of those things. And I found I would say I was only going to eat one serving. I always go back for two or three. And that made me really uncomfortable. And it, I didn't want to um, put my recovery at risk of my eating disorder. So I gave them up. That's the only thing I really changed. Other than that, I just continued the things I've been doing for the three years before that. Well, winter time came and I got my clothes out from the year before and I put them on and I was like, how did this stretch? It's been folded in a bin in the basement. How is this too big for me? Like I literally, I literally thought my clothes stretch somehow. And I started to realize thing after thing, my husband's like, you shrunk. And I think that's a good, a good lesson. I didn't do anything different. I didn't change. I just kept doing the right thing and I shrunk. And I think that process is still happening. That was over the winter time. And I think it is still happening. I just, I maintain the way I eat and I take care of myself. And I mean, all those years, the thousand pounds lost, the you know, laxative abuse, the bulimia, all that, my body's like, I finally trust you enough to let go of some of this stuff. And that's how I see it. Like I have proven to my body over the last over four years, I'm going to take care of you from now on. So it's like, (gasps) okay, well, I guess I'll let go of this fat. I'm not going to get into starvation again. I'm not going to harm I'm not going to be harmed again. I can trust. And that's how I see it. We're almost coming up. I want to take up all your time, but I think it's just amazing how the body works because I really abused my body. Not in the same way you have, but I did a lot of endurance sports and ran ultra marathons, training for them on like 1500 calories, thinking that at some place I was going to be skinny from doing that. Uh, It did not happen. But uh, so... And it's amazing, like this whole process of working with Robert, I never thought that I would be where I had like just normal hunger signals that I could like be reminded to be hungry. That's right. Yeah. And be reminded to stop eating because before I was never hungry. But then when I started eating, I I really, I was starving after I started because, you know, survival. Right. But, uh, it's just amazing how long it takes for the body to heal, but it will do it if you give it the building blocks to do so. And if you just keep doing it, too many people yeah. get frustrated because they don't see an instant fix. And the thing about keto is, and I realize it's kind of hot right now, like in the world as a weight loss thing, you will lose weight. Eventually, if you do the right things, you will get to where you're going. But no one can promise you speed if you're doing it the healthy way. They just cannot. If someone promises you speed, you're cutting corners. You're not really building up. You're not really eating enough of the right things. And some people lose quicker. Some people lose slower. But if you have a history of dieting and restriction, it's going to take longer for you. And that's just the way it is. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'd rather... I think we both, if we we had, hey, come to me, I'm going to help you lose weight super fast, we'd have clients like lying down the street. But I'm about the truth. And I say my goal for you is long-term healing. Let's just start with that. And that matters more than anything else. So 
I like that message. So real quick, tell people about your course that's coming up. You have an eight week food addiction mm -hmm. course. Can you just give yeah. a little blurb of what that's all about? Sure thing. So we have one starting on May 19th. We usually have two going at the same time. We keep them small, 20 people. But we really work with people on overcoming eating patterns that are detrimental to them. We work on food sobriety. We work on a different approach. If you're one of those people like me and you've done all the diets and you've been through every different treatment plan, you've done 12 steps and none of that really worked, it's probably because you aren't approaching this like for the thing that it is and it's addiction. And we really help people not just face the behaviors that they're stuck in, but develop new behaviors that work. It's about capturing sabotaging thoughts and then changing the action. It's the greatest pleasure. And I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I love that, but this will be, um, I do this coach. I mean, I do this with um, coach Mary, Mary Roberts, and this is, this will be our 19th group. And so many people have come through this thing and said, my life is changed. You know, like we have people that are like, I'm 1100 days food sober. I haven't put food in my body that harms me in 1100 days. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. So if you struggled and, you know, you feel out of control with food, you don't have to be as out of control as I was. If you feel like food bosses you around, if you feel like you start the day and you, it, you say, today's the day I'm going to do well. And then by lunch, you're off plan again, there's something happening there. There's a pattern that is out of control. And those are really the things that we help people with. It's not so much about teaching people keto. It's not so much about macros. It's about teaching you what's emotional hunger versus real hunger. It's finding freedom from the compulsion. It gets pretty deep in there. We talk about self-esteem and body image and all the things that lead us sometimes to eating, identifying stressful situations in your life. And what are the lies that we believe when we decide to eat something that harms us? We always believe it's going to do something for us that it doesn't do. You know, like I'm tired. I need to eat. It's going to make me feel better. If you're tired, the only thing that's going to help you is rest. Food just makes you mad at yourself. Binging makes you mad at yourself and then you're still tired. It didn't fix what you want it to fix. So that's the kind of stuff we work on and it's eight weeks. It's $199. This is our 19th class and we take a maximum of 20 people. And we would love for anyone who's interested in that. They can message me at Coach Jessica on Instagram or they can message KetoMary71. I'll put a link in the notes. Okay, great, great. Yes, but if there's any questions at all, we would love to tell you more about that. If you don't get it on this one, when our other group that's going at the same time ends, we'll do one in um, June as well. So, Very cool. Um, awesome. Yay. Thanks for letting me talk about it. No problem. It's so fun talking to you. I, you too. It's always great to see you. It is always a pleasure. Bye. Then. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like and subscribe to the show. If there's anyone you would like to hear from or any topics you would like to hear more about, please let us know in the comments.